producers i'm Alyssa, and i'm brooke and this is for god's sake don't drink the jones juice welcome back to episode 26 guys hey hey so we are going to make our intro short and sweet tonight because we have been having um complications with the computer uh for the last several hours <laughs> so we're just going to get right into this and hope and pray that we can make it through with any more fuck-ups yeah it's been ridiculous and we're already a day late so we apologize (laughs) anyway i guess we'll get right in to the first story let's do it all right so um tonight i am stepping out of my outside my usual blood and gore and uh i'd like to start this by just saying um or sourcing my information Um, So I read an article called No Earthly Trace by Atlanta Magazine. I also read a couple of articles by 11 Alive News. This is a local missing person case, by the way, guys. And I read some Reddit posts. Um, I actually get a lot of my info from Reddit. And I like that because a lot of times people that actually know the victims of these cases will comment on these threads. Um, So I feel like you can actually get real facts rather than, like, scripted news articles and opinion. You know what I mean? You get, like, more personal detail, like, firsthand, like, I know this person. And the media always portrays people differently. Exactly. So, yeah. I think we both like to uh, research Reddit when we're... Yeah. I don't always, depending on the case, I'll look at Reddit. Yeah. So, um, again, yeah, I'm going to be discussing a local missing persons case, and this is the Justin Gaines case. I feel like most of you guys, if you're from, you know, the Atlanta area, you have heard of this case, even though it is 13 years old now, and that blows my freaking mind. I legit thought this case was like six or seven years old yeah. not ten. i mean i know seven's close to ten but it's nuts to think about how long it's been yeah um but this is a case that has just pulled on my heartstrings for many years um i find myself just googling to see if he's been found several times a year um sometimes i'll just be laying at bed at night and i'm like justin Gaines, like he'll just pop in my head (laughs) um i think it's mostly because i lived in duluth where this took place at the time he went missing and i was close to his age and i'd also hung out bumping into everything i'm sorry that's okay um so and i'd also hung out in the same bar that he disappeared from I didn't know you lived in Duluth at one point. I did. Um, that's Well, Ansley was born in Snellville, but we lived in Duluth when she was born. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. So I lived out there from like 18 to 21, 22. So yeah, I lived out there for a while. But um, so this happened just a few months after my daughter Ansley was born and she's 13 now. Um, I still remember seeing the flyers hung up all around town. Like, you couldn't go to a gas station without seeing his face plastered on the door. Um, The big billboard on 85 had his face on it. Um, Just, you know, news article, newspapers, media coverage, like, mad. Um, He was everywhere. Yeah. And just the fact that 
we really, this is kind of a cold case. We really don't have answers to this day. It's just, it's just insane to me. Um, so I know Alyssa and I are kind of like nobodies right now in the podcast world. Um, but if nothing else, maybe I can bring some awareness, some new awareness to this case and stir up conversation and get his face and name out there. Maybe to some people that aren't aware of it or people that are, and maybe have forgotten about it over the years. Yeah. Um, and maybe somehow, some way we can be of help. Um, so I actually watched a 48 hours episode this morning when I was at the gym. And it wasn't regarding this case, but it was another missing persons case from Georgia, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I plan on covering this case soon. But a podcast actually helped to solve this cold case. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Um, Just a dream. Right. Obviously, it was a well-known podcast. Um, The podcast is Up and Vanished. Have you uh, heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. So the the host, whose name is Payne Lindsay, is actually, <clears throat> excuse me, is actually from Atlanta. Oh, wow. So the first case he ever did, I'll go ahead and say who it is. It's the Tara Grinstead case. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first case he ever did on a missing person was about somebody from Georgia. And it was about Tara Grinstead, who, if you are not familiar with Tara Grinstead, she was a teacher and a beauty queen that went missing back. Gosh, I, I couldn't even tell you the year, but. 15 years ago, probably. Oh my gosh. So yeah, but he actually helped solve that case with his podcast and just, you know, spreading awareness, which I think is incredible. Dude, that's like, if we could use our podcast to help a family find or even just get any kind of information about a missing person, that would be the goal for sure. Yeah. Like hashtag goals. Like, yeah, we like talking about true crime, but we would like to help if we could. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just being that it's so close to home, you know what I mean? So close. People know stuff. You oh, know? for sure. So, and I feel like a lot of times your general audience is like around where you live. Exactly. So, uh, so to get this story started, um, 18 year old Justin Glenn Gaines entered Wild Bills, which at the time was a popular nightclub in Duluth, Georgia. Uh, he entered the club at 11:38 p.m. on Thursday, November 1st, 2007. Um, He had caught a ride with his good friend, Chris Byers, and his girlfriend. The exact time Justin entered the club is known because of the club's surveillance cameras. Justin was a regular at at Wild Bill's. And like most 18-year-olds, he was known as a bit of a partier. Yeah. Weren't we all? Right. (laughs) I kind of miss Wild Bill's. Like, it was a cool place. It it was. I didn't even know about it. Yeah. Like, at all. (laughs) We did more local stuff. Right. Like, in Conyers. Well, it was to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a big deal. Um, So, that... Is it still there? Oh, no. They're closed down. Are they? Yeah. Um, It was Thirsty, I'm sorry, it was Thursday night, which was known as Thirsty Thursdays at Wild Bills. What does that mean exactly? You know, I I want to say, I I don't know that, like, the drinks were cheap. Like, that's just, like, what they called it. I want to say that was the night that, like, 95.5 The Beat was there, and it was just, like, a really popular (laughs) night. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's all it was. You wow. know, they just had like, you know, wasted Wednesdays. No, Wait, I don't know. Wasted Wednesdays. I don't know if that Thursday, was a thing, Thursday. but you know, they a lot of nightclubs have like certain names for yeah. each night and maybe it was because 95.5, the beat was there. That was the, maybe karaoke was another night. I don't know. You know, I've never been to like an actual like nightclub. Really? Only bars. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it was Thirsty Thursday, and almost three thousand people were there. This was wow. a big place, but like literally, like when I used to go, like you were like on top of people, dude. COVID I says no. I swear to God, I was about to say the same. <laughs> I'm like coronavirus central, literally. But dude. yeah, like it was wild at Wild Bills. Wild at Wild Bills. <laughs> I would assume so. Yeah. So you would literally like be standing on top of people. What kind of people were there? Like well, Atlanteans? Well, it depended on the... Or? Yeah. Like it depended on the night. Like I remember one time... De- depended on the night. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like there would be like country night, you know, so oh. it would be like a bunch of like rednecks or like cowboys. That's what I was imagining. But was, like a bunch always, of rednecks. Because they had like hip-hop night they had like uh rock you know it depended on the show like they had big oh shows God. and stuff there like I concerts i want to go to some place like this yeah so um justin and his two friends who he rode with of course they rushed to the vip entrance line because if you were vip you would get in for free yeah so they just missed the cutoff and it was just after 11 p.m when they got in line so now it's going to cost these three 18 year olds 10 bucks. And as you can imagine, nobody wants to pay that. They probably don't even have that. Right, right. <laughs> well, never mind because they're going there to drink. Well, yeah. Well, they've, no, they're, they're 18. Okay, but Justin had a fake ID. And we'll talk about that a little while ago. And I'm sure okay. the others did too. Right. You know. Did you ever have one? I never had a fake Me ID. Either. Nope, never. Me I guess either. I'm lame, but. I didn't really need one. Like, I always hung, hung out with older people. So, like, Brooke I was... and I are law-abiding citizens. We are. <laughs> I know. I always hung out with other um, older people, Like, if too. I needed something illegal, like, I could... My friends could Easily get it. Get you it, know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. cigarettes. Like, my friends got them, you know? That's how it was for me, too. So, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. It's going to cost them 10 bucks, and nobody wants to pay that. So... Justin looks up and he finds somebody in line that gives him a guest pass. Uh, but Chris and his girlfriend weren't so lucky. So Chris tells Justin, he's like, look, dude, we're just going to go home. Yeah. And Justin's like, that's fine. That's cool. I'll get a ride home at the end of the night. Like, no worries. Do you ever know people like that that are like, oh, I'll find a ride home? Yeah, I feel like I did. Um, I never did. See, I think, like, Justin was such, like, a social butterfly. Like, if it were me, I'd be like, y'all aren't leaving me here. Like, I'm what? Not going myself. Yeah, yeah, but, like, he knew everybody. He, you know, he was just, like, just a chill dude, like, could find people he knew anywhere he went. You know right. what I mean? And he was so, such, like, a frequent flyer there. It was just, like, no big deal. Like, go I home. wish I was that way so bad. Yeah. So, um. Uh, just before midnight, Justin ends up calling two friends that he knows are somewhere in the club. Like I said, you're back to back. You, right. You know, you're going to run into people, but, you know, it's hard to find people. Yeah. So um, a few minutes later, he ends up running into his friend, Clint Irvin. Um, but he just kind of disappears into the crowd again in typical Justin fashion. You mm-hmm. know, just like he's just bouncing around, right. you know, talking to folks and drinking and whatever. I also just really like people like that too. Yeah. 
Oh, sorry. It's really late, just guys. fun loving, like yeah, like somebody that can just come up to you and just start a conversation, and it's effortless. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And that was him. That was his personality. So he definitely was not afraid to socialize. And uh, Clint later claimed that Justin seemed sober. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's kind of a big part of this because. Okay. There are speculations. There are different people that say he wasn't, but his good friend said he seemed like he was. So are I think that's pretty credible. Like any suspects? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that. So, um, you know, the it starts getting later and later, and uh, Justin starts calling, looking for a ride home. You yeah. know, he's in the club, but he's like, I gotta get a ride home. Yeah. It's starting to go late. <laughs> They're gonna close, you know? So he had a habit of calling his friends for rides. The first call he made was to a girl named Cassidy, and Cassidy was his ex-girlfriend. Um, they had dated for a while, but, you know, broke up, but were still, like, civil and cool, I guess. Right. So, at this point, it's 1 a.m., and Cassidy, of course, is sleeping, so she doesn't hear the phone ring. Uh, Justin ends up calling several other friends, but he can't reach anyone, and he keeps calling Clint. Okay, that's the guy he ran into a little mm-hmm. while ago. Just after 1 a.m., he leaves Clint a voicemail, but all Clint can make out is static. Clint's already gone home anyway, or he's on his way home at this point, and uh, he's headed back to Lawrenceville. He figures to himself, like, okay, Justin wants a ride, but, like, I'm not turning around. It's it's late. Right. You know? I'm sure Clint probably has never forgiven himself. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so he just went home. He was like, eh, whatever. He'll be fine. He'll get a ride. So between 12.55 and 2 a.m., Justin made 24 calls to 11 different people looking for a wow. ride. All of the calls were to people that had either left the club or were never there in the first place. And no one could give him a ride. See, that would be my fear. Like, yeah. not being able to find a ride home. Right. And, I'm like, Uber wasn't a thing back then. Well, you know, cabs were. And That's also, true. his parents, like, were pretty cool. Like, um, I don't know if I put this in my notes later or not, but I remember reading that, like, basically, they were like, I don't care what you're doing, where you're at, if you're drunk, if you're sober, like, if you need a ride, you call us. But he never did. So. I wonder why. I don't know why. Hmm. So, um, police ended up picking him up on the outside of the Wild Bill's surveillance camera around 1.30 a.m. Um, on the early morning of November 2nd. And that's the last that was ever seen of him. And it's like he just fell off the face of the earth. So, he was outside. Um, you know, they have him on surveillance and then just... Just gone. Nothing Just gone. All. Wow. Yeah. That is so spooky. It It is so scary that people can just disappear like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously something happened, but just it makes your mind go all over the place. Oh, yeah. So searches began for Justin two days later. Uh, so Justin's a graduate of Brookwood High School, and he was a freshman in college at the time at Gainesville State. Uh, at the time of his disappearance, he was wearing a gray, long-sleeved Abercrombie shirt. Abercrombie was a big thing back then. Oh, it, it was like when I was in middle school. Yeah. Um, he was wearing ripped jeans, flip-flops, and diamond stud earrings. Flip-flops? Flip-flops. Who wears flip-flops uh, to, to the club? club? I don't know. I feel like that was the style, though. Like, I, I can totally see it. 
Yeah. Um, his cell phone was in his pocket, along with his fake ID with the name Brad Allen on it. <laughs> Brad. Brad Allen. <laughs> and, of course, he had plenty of cash for drinks. Right. So, um, Justin is a Caucasian male with brown, closely shaved hair and blue eyes. He has a super muscular build, and he was a weightlifter. He's five foot eleven and weighed between two ten and two hundred and thirty pounds. Let me just say this, okay? At okay. first glance, this was not the guy that somebody wants to mess with. Right? Sounds like it's not. <laughs> he was like pure muscle. He was a beefy. I don't mess with anybody in flip flops. <laughs> um, so, like, he was no, by no means, like a scrawny fella that you want to, like, right. mess with. Like, you see him and you're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't mess with that guy. Right. You know what I mean? So, not a target. That just makes this all the more strange to me. Um, so, foul play is suspected in his disappearance. But in the 13 years that he's been gone, credible tips and evidence have been few and far between. Now, there's been a ton of tips over the years, as you can imagine. Yeah. But none, nothing credible enough to, you know, find him, clearly. So, of course, he was super close with his family, and they all say that he would not have disappeared like this on his own accord. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin was born on March 31st, 1989. So he's exactly my sister's age. She's March 1989. And today he would be 31. So, uh, yeah. Wow, here, is Madeline 31? Yeah, Madeline. Well, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep, she sure is. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So here's where I did take down that his parents told him that they could call him for a ride no matter how late it was, where he was mm-hmm. at, what he was doing. But he never did call them. The last time that his phone was used was shortly before 2 a.m. Gaines never arrived home and has never been heard from again. Have they ever found, like, mm-hmm. his cell phone or anything? I'm sure they did. Yeah. No, no. No. No, I would assume not. Hmm. No. You're like, why would they? Where would they find it? Because you feel like, I, mean, I feel like it would be with him. I don't, I don't know. I was just thinking, like, if you had it with you... Yeah. No, I don't think anything. They could like trace I don't, I think it. there's been not a trace of any. No. <clears throat> so um, at around 2.30 a.m., several witnesses claim to have seen him outside the club, um, kind of looking like he was waiting on a ride. But it's suspected that his phone had already died at that point. So, um, I know there was something about like, you know, the pings, it would Uh show like the last time that it was being used. So we're talking, you know, the last time he had used it was shortly before 2am. And then he was spotted after that. Yeah. Okay. So there are conflicting accounts of whether Justin was drunk or sober at this time. Security camera footage shows what looks like a sober Justin, but some witnesses reported otherwise. Um, okay. It's it's usually kind of hard to tell when dudes are drunk sometimes. Like, yeah, when my brother's it, drunk. Especially if they have a high tolerance and are, and are yeah. partiers. My brother, like, when me and him get drunk together, I'm <laughs> dumb when I'm drunk. And, and my he's brother's just, like, like, philosophical. Like, he's so normal. Like, mm-hmm. it, like, our conversations, I can never tell he's drunk. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I definitely, you can tell when I'm drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Gosh. 
So um, three departments are working on Justin's case. The Gwinnett County Police, Gwinnett County Sheriff, and the investigators from the Gwinnett County District Attorney's Office. Now, investigators have interviewed hundreds of people over the years. Hundreds. And they continue to get tips to this day, both credible and not. Now, while they refuse to reveal all of this information, they do have a working theory. Okay? Okay. So, investigators believe that Justin's diamond earrings and cash attracted the attention of the wrong person. Yeah. When he left the club at 1.30 a.m. and couldn't find a ride home, investigators think that someone, possibly a blonde woman, lured him into a car. Okay. From there, this working theory is that they took him to a house in Snellville where they robbed and killed him. Horrible. Next, the killer dumped Justin's body in Lake Lanier, but it floated up a few days later. This is a lot of knowledge right here that they're saying, like, this is a theory. It sounds more like factual, like they believe this is what happened, right? Well, it's weird that they're like, they dumped him in a specific lake and then his body floated up. up. Right. How would you know that? Exactly. So the suspects then took him to another county. This is very specific, right? That, okay. 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 Let's, let me just like organize this a little bit. So. I feel like typically when you have a theory, it's, it's a like, theory. It's well, not like, just that. It's like this a may have happened, and it's not detailed like this. It's like we think that this blonde woman lured him in. Mm-hmm. They robbed him and killed him, and then dumped his body somewhere. We right. can't find it. Right. Or even if they're like they dumped him in Lake Lanier because I feel like Lake Lanier is big. It's huge. It, but his body floated back up, and then they transported. How do you know his body? No. 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 Right. That doesn't. No. It sounds factual, right? It sounds like they Coming know from for the a fact that this happened. Right. Yeah. And this is coming directly from the investigators' mouths. So, um, like I said, it floated up a few, his body floated up a few days later, and the suspects took him to another county where they dumped his body in a well. Okay. Okay. What? Yeah. A well is very specific. Exactly. That's why I'm so like, okay, why do we not have. Imagine being like a detective and coming up with that theory. That like doesn't no, sound like a theory. No basis to prove any of that. They would be like, no, that. Mm-mm. Yeah. That like you can't make a theory up like no, that. That's not a theory. No. So <laughs> now this is uh, coming from investigators. We've interviewed people who know more than they should. An investigator said when he at, when he was asked if he believes that they've already spoken to the killer or killers. Okay. Uh huh. So now there are some rumors stating that Justin was in an altercation at some point during the night at Wild Bill's. Now Justin's family has been contacted by a plethora, plethora, a plethora, plethora, <laughs> Me plethora, coincidental <laughs> homicide, homicide, <laughs> plethora, plethora. Epitome. Oh, gosh, of psychics. Okay. As you can imagine, (laughs) when something goes down like this, psychics come out of the woodwork, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know what happened. So now Justin's mother says that the psychic she holds in highest regard, Mary Beth Wren of Charlotte, North Carolina, came to Duluth to help with early searches around mud holes and interstate hotels. Now, Mary's gut told her then and now that Justin was sticking up for a girl that he was interested in on the dance floor and that the girl's boyfriend went for revenge. 
Mary Wren believes that key evidence lies in the back of a big black van, possibly a Ford Econoline. As for Justin's remains, Wren says that her visions suggest murky, swampy water with a high bacteria count, and her mind tells her Alabama. Huh. So that's a theory. Yeah. Right? That's a theory. What investigators are saying does not sound like a theory, in my opinion. It sounds like we know all this happened. Correct. But we can't actually produce the body. But Justin's mother does, ha- you know, hold this this Mary Beth Run in very high know, regard. High, yeah. I wonder why, though. I don't know. I don't really know. So, I've got some other theories for you, okay? This is one that'll send you straight down the rabbit hole. God. So... One of the theories states that Justin was possibly murdered by the smiley face killers. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. Okay. So this theory explores the deaths of 40 plus young white men. All at bars, Uh all drunk, supposedly. Uh Yeah. So police think that these cases are tragic accidents, but a small group of investigators has long believed that there's something else at work, something much more sinister. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of these men died between 2005 and 2017, all with the same eerily similar details. They were all college-aged white or Asian men found drowned in a body of water, drunk and with GHB in their system. Okay. I, I... What is GHP again? The date rape drug. Okay. Um, And smiley face graffiti was found at most of the murder sites, Mm -hmm. either new or old. Yep. Creepy, right? So creepy. And if there is a smiley face killer, Mm -hmm. number one, they'd probably be like the most prolific serial killer. Oh, yeah. But also Mm -hmm. like, I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Well, Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> what we don't know is if the smiley face killer is even a real thing or is it just like a big, crazy conspiracy? Yeah. But I don't think that's a terrible theory there. I mean, it, it fits the bill. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it would fit it better, though, if they found his body. And right. There right. was a smiley face nearby. Right. So, Justin's mom, Erica, and his stepdad, Stephen Wilson, had seven children between the two of them, okay? This is horrible. Excuse me. So, Justin had a younger brother named Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy Wilson died of asphyxiation at his home in January of 2011 at the age of 19. Okay, so we're talking, like... How did that happen? Not quite four years after... Justin went missing. How heartbreaking. So we aren't sure exactly what happened here. And we're not really sure if it was an accident or if it was suicide. Now, the Gwinnett County Medical Examiner's Office calls it a suicide, but the parents have their doubts. So Justin's mother, Erica, found Jeremy. Oh, that just breaks my heart. I cannot even. He had a shoelace tied around his neck, which was used to hold a plastic bag over his face. Oh, my God. Police found no signs of drug use and no suicide note. Now, Jeremy's dad, Stephen, thinks that his son had read something on the Internet and was aiming for an oxygen-depleted rush. You know, I do feel like I remember 
something like that going around yeah. around this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of like an autoerotic type. Yeah. Yeah. But what a horrible way to go. Especially like when you're not meaning to kill yourself. I know. It makes you wonder, right? Yeah. It, that just kills me for the parents. I, especially like finding your own son like oh that. I cannot gosh. even imagine. No, no. The horror. I mean, they've lost two of their boys now yeah. in a matter of not even four years. Wow. You know? Oh. <clears throat> so I got some crazy shit for you. Oh, you, God. You ready for this? Yes. So in September of 2011, Martin Leonard Wilkie was charged with concealing a death in Gaines's case. Dustin Dillon Glass, a career criminal and self-described gang member who's in federal prison on unrelated charges, told authorities that he and Wilkie had assaulted Gaines and Gaines was then shot to death. The men then supposedly put his body in a toolbox and drove it to Walton County, Georgia. Way too close to home. Glass's mother, Thelma Ruth Balu, claimed that she'd helped her son and Wilkie dispose of the body. Excuse me, if my son came to me with a body, I would 911. Thank you. (laughs) So... Thelma Balu ends up leading the investigators to a Walton County property, and she says that Gaines's body had been dumped in a well there. Okay. Uh-huh. But a week-long search turns up nothing, and Balu was charged with making a false statement. What the fuck? Who the fuck confesses to a murder that they didn't do? A lot of people, but to me, that sounds odd considering this dude was already, like, in prison. Right. I mean, I guess, like, maybe he he could have been saying it to, like, make himself sound tougher. Right. Or something. I don't know. But the mom uh, just goes along with it. Like, is prison, like, worth that attention, you weirdo? Dude, people do it all the time like, like with every serial killer yeah there's somebody that like claims somebody, it was them and yeah. it wasn't and that's it, so fucking weird like, like why are you such a fucking freak <laughs> for doing that like i'm like seriously you're a fucking freak if you do that yeah if you take credit for another serial killer's kills like i will say that whole little story there besides the fact that she lied about where it was at makes me have suspicions about that those specific people yeah for sure of course but did did she maybe try to lead investigators to somewhere where his body wasn't to throw them off like i don't know just so many questions what is there evidence that they were at the club that same day i I have no idea because i mean if they were that would be hella suspicious right well if they were it seems like that would have been you know that would have been in some kind of record or you know yeah. investigators would have said that i don't know hmm. but if you just admitted to a crime you didn't do you're a fucking weird you you're fucking weird <laughs> so you're fucking weird <laughs> so um as you can imagine you know at this point we're 13 years down the road but every time human remains are found in lake lanier justin's family has high hopes that they can finally get some closure and have some peace mm-hmm. but it's never him and if you aren't familiar with Lake Lanier, guys, uh, this is a, a huge, huge lake in Georgia. And it's man-made, and it's creepy as fuck, 
and there's been a lot of deaths there and we really want to do an episode on it sometime yeah, we will eventually but there's been a lot of bodies found there so there's um, a whole entire fucking town city under the water underneath yeah. the water it's nuts so yeah we're definitely going to cover that eventually but um so to this day no one has been charged with justin's disappearance and the case is still open guys a $25,000 reward is being offered for information leading to an arrest. Don't give bullshit information, guys. Yeah, literally. So if you have any information regarding the Justin Gaines case, please contact the Gwinnett County Sheriff's Office at 770-513-5100. Somebody knows something. Somebody does. It's been long enough. Like, give mm-hmm. it up. Give it up. Wait, if you know your buddy, have some peace. if you know your buddy did some fucked up shit, like it's time to, you know, yeah, give it up, man. Like and I highly doubt you'll get in trouble. Exactly. If you're, well, I mean, like unless you participated, but there are people that know. Yeah, plenty, and you know when somebody does some shit like that, they've talked about it. Oh yeah, they brag about it. I, I you know, as badly as I'd love to say, I think he's out there somewhere you know a lot he's not he's not yeah. no and just the torment that his family has to deal with not knowing dude i can't imagine no what that must feel like for them so yeah that's all i've got pretty short case uh usually i do something like a bit longer but um i just wanted to try to spread some awareness maybe get some you know you know, uh, teach some of you guys if you hadn't heard of it. <laughs> and uh, those that have, you know, kind of put it in your brain again. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for teaching us. <laughs> teaching you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And take a little uh, breather and we'll be back with Alyssa's story. This episode is sponsored by Rustic Peach. Rustic Peach is a small business owned by self-proclaimed crunchy mom, Jessica Armstrong. They offer over 20 different items, including lip balms, body products, and luxury candles made with pure soy. All of their items are handmade in small batches by a certified aromatherapist using only sustainable and clean ingredients. All of their fragrances are free of phthalates and parabens. I have purchased tons of items from Jessica, and I seriously can't say that I've had a single complaint. And the fact that everything is all natural makes it even 10 times better. I've actually got her flannel and fleece candle burning right now. While Rustic Peach was originally based out of Covington, Georgia, they recently made a move to Minnesota. As you can imagine, packing your entire life and business away and moving it across the country can be insanely difficult. Let's help support Jessica at her new home base with the holidays coming. You can reach Rustic Peach by email at rusticpeachnaturals at gmail.com. You can find them on Instagram at rusticpeachnaturals, on Facebook at facebook.com slash 
Rustic Peach GA. Also, check out her website at rusticpeachga.com. That's R U S T I C P E A C H G A.com. Be sure to use code JUICER for 20% off your purchase at checkout. Again, that's rusticpeachga.com. R U S T I C P E A C H G A dot com. Use code JUICER for 20% off. Okay, guys, welcome back for part two. Um, Today, I am covering the Kansas City Butcher. Do you know who that is? Nope. Nope? Nope. Robert Bordella. Have you ever heard of him? I don't think so. Say, I did not know who she was covering this time, so I'm stoked. Okay. I didn't know who this motherfucker was either, but I googled... um, uh, Sadistic psycho killers. I googled like the most brutal murders, and it was like, you know, a list of ten zero killers you probably never knew about. Hmm. And I knew like all of them except for two, and I screenshot them, and I just ended up cho- choosing this one. Cool. So you handled the blood and gore this this episode. Yeah, and um, I just want to go ahead and give a trigger warning. There is a lot of sexual abuse in this. I do not go into detail really about any of it. Um. I mean, I do mention some, but I didn't write down any details because I don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just in case, like, even if you don't want to hear the mentionings of sexual abuse, sexual torture, that kind of, there's a lot of torture in this. Um, this guy is quite the man. So um, just a heads up. So, um, Robert Berdella um, is known as the Kansas City Butcher, and he's also known as the Collector. Ooh. Yeah, and the Collector was a movie. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, there's an old one, and then I think there was a remake of one, too, but um, I talk about it a little bit more later on, but um, he really identified with that movie, and I think that... It's kind of like a self-proclaimed name. Okay. But I'm not really sure. So also again, not again, but also um, I got all my information from Wikipedia. So there was a lot on this dude. All right. Okay. So Robert Burdella was born in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio on January 31st, 1947 to his mother, Mary Burdella, and his father, Robert Burdella Sr. Robert's father was a devout Catholic and raised his family in a deeply religious household. Um, Robert did, like, very well in school. He was intelligent, as I feel like a lot of serial killers are. I was about to are. say, yeah. <laughs> They're all just super intelligent for some reason. Mm-hmm. Also... Um, in some ways, Robert gives me Ed Kemper vibes, okay. which is probably why I was like drawn to this case. Yeah. Um, he does, he doesn't do a lot similar to Ed Kemper. He does one thing that's similar. Um, but just the fact that 
they're both ginormous men. I think Robert Berdella was like six foot two mm-hmm. and Ed Kemper was like six ten. Yeah. <laughs> he was very tall. Um, and they're both just so fucking smart. Mm-hmm. So, um, so he did very well in school. Um, but he suffered from extreme nearsightedness and because of that he had to wear like really thick glasses mm-hmm. which made him like a huge target for bullies mm-hmm. that plus the fact that he had a speech impediment oh so he kind of just you know these serial killers that are so 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 very intelligent like okay cool you're intelligent like your book smart but you're not smart enough to not kill people like, <laughs> there's like a disconnect there like they're smart but there is a disconnect clearly it's weird um so he also had to take several medications for high blood pressure mm-hmm. he was a loner mm-hmm. I'm sure we all could figure that out mm-hmm. um he hardly ever left his house or had friends come over to hang out with him um he was extremely unathletic Whereas his younger brother, Daniel, was athletic and he played like tons of different sports. And unfortunately for Robert, his father really valued sports and like physical education. Um, So because his brother was like this, you know, all star athlete, Mm -hmm. he like constantly compared Robert to Daniel and was like, you know, like, why aren't you like him? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he kind of felt like, you know, he looked more at Robert as like a failure than Daniel. He probably felt bullied by his father as well as like other children. Exactly. Um, So not much is known about his childhood. Um, he does mention that his father would emotionally and physically abuse them, mm-hmm. but there's no really, there's no de- details about it. So it may not be true. It may be true. I mean, you know, looking back at a, a lot of other serial killers, uh, oftentimes they face horrific abuse as children. So yes, we don't really know. Um, so, um, Although he made, like, really good grades in school, his teachers noted that it was, like, very hard to teach him because of his aloofness and the constant teasing from other children. Mm, Like, they just would not leave this motherfucker alone. As Robert reached puberty, he came to realize that he was actually gay. Oh, why did I have a feeling... Did you say something earlier that made me feel... No. Oh, I don't know. I had a feeling. I actually forgot until <laughs> just now. Um, but he, like, kept that a secret. I mean, like, the, you know, this was forever ago. Like, he would yeah. have definitely been antagonized for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have a girlfriend, but very briefly, I'm sure, as a cover-up. Mm-hmm. By the time he reached his mid-teens... Um, he started gaining confidence in a, in, in himself, um, but he kind of showed it by, like, being condescending and, like, arrogant and just, like, you know, like an asshole to people. Was he a decent-looking dude? No. No. He's hideous. Mm. <laughs> um, on Christmas Day in 1965, which is the year my dad was born, mm-hmm. Robert's family made their way to Canton, Ohio to visit family. 
for the holidays. Later that evening, Robert Berdella Sr. had a heart attack and died at the age of 39. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, very young. Very young. So, two two days later when Robert returned home, I don't know where the fuck he was because he wasn't with his family. Um, His family told him that his dad died. So, like, literally two days after his father died, he knew about it, which is so sad in my opinion. Yeah. So he kind of just found like, you know, solace in religion. Um, but like as the years go by, like he just became cynical about religion in general, just Mm -hmm. didn't care about it. Um, so this is where I talk about the movie, the collector in 1965, Robert saw the movie, the collector, Um, And the plot of this movie revolves around a man who stalks and abducts a young woman he finds attractive and holds her captive in his windowless stone basement, viewing her as a little more than an attractive specimen. After After several weeks, oh my god, the woman dies of a contracted illness despite her captor's efforts to keep her alive. Robert would later state that his, that this movie had a lasting impression on him, which, like, you'll see that, like, the older he gets, the more he, like, starts to collect things. Okay. Um, so if that's any indication of where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so not long after Robert Bordella Sr. died, um... Robert's mother remarried and he did not like that at all he felt like she was basically betraying his father by marrying so soon but I mean you know back then she probably had no choice right you women know. didn't really work or they didn't yeah. have anything for themselves yeah so it's probably more survival than it was anything yeah I mean I don't know that for sure but that's just my opinion or whatever um so he became like further and further withdrawn and immersed himself in activities he did as a child such as like painting collecting toys (laughs) collecting (laughs) coins and stamps and writing to foreign pen pals Hmm. Uh, some of these pen pals were from places like Vietnam so that's kind of cool yeah uh, they would send him more stamps for his collection and pictures of mythical and historical icons, ancient cultures, and architecture. Uh, this led to his love for art, photographs, and antiques. And that becomes a huge part of his life later on. So just remember it. Okay. In 1967, Robert graduated from high school. Um, And he was so intelligent and he did so well that his teachers had placed him in an independent study program. So I guess like he was like teaching himself. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. Um, After graduating, Robert moved to Kansas City where he enrolled in Kansas City Art Institute to become a professor. Hmm. Uh, During this time, he showed a lot of like you know, good qualities, like, he had ambition, he was motivated, just a really good student, and, like, people, you know, noticed that in him, Mm -hmm. um, but by his second year, uh, he had, like, he had dropped out of becoming a professor, and, like, started 
art, pretty much. Um, he became very anti-authoritarian, uh, and he became out. He became out. <laughs> Guys, it's. I don't think he ever came out. He did actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's really late, guys. Okay. He began hanging out with other students who would supply him with drugs. Ooh. In which, basically, he would, like, flip it and sell it for profit. Oh. So. He didn't do drugs? He just no, sold? No, he did do drugs. Oh, okay. But he did both. Gotcha. Um, and he became known as, like, a minor drug dealer. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he did abuse drugs pretty heavily and was an alcoholic basically so great life stand-up guy he's very stand-up guy he's the kind of guy you want to bring home to your mother faux show so while attending kansas city art institute um there are at least three noted instances where he tortured animals. So if you don't oh, want to hear about animal God. torture, unless you're broke, because you kind of have to. No. Skip like 15 seconds. So he tortured a duck and a chicken in front of his peers and experimented with sedatives and tranquilizers on a dog. No. Yeah. Aww. Um. And it's actually crazy because the duck that he killed, um, basically it was like he had like an art performance at his school and I'm, it's very unclear exactly what happened, but he ended up cutting the duck's head off in front of uh, like everyone. What? For, for the sake of art. That's oh, what it was. Okay. For okay. the sake of art. So sick whatever that means <laughs> should have put him straight in the loony bin right then right so when he was 19 years old he was arrested for selling meth to an undercover cop damn and this is what in like the 60s 70s yeah okay um but he was released after posting a three thousand dollar bond um he later pleaded guilty and was sentenced to a five-year suspended sentence and I didn't really know what that meant. I looked it up, and they don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's basically like, in a nutshell, and it's probably still wrong what I'm about to say, but this is just what I, like, inferred from it. But So, like, if you're a first-time offender, mm -hmm. like, sometimes they'll give you a suspended sentence to kind of, gotcha. kind of like as a warning. You gotcha, know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but a month after his arrest, Robert and two others were arrested for possession of marijuana and LSD. But the charges were ultimately dropped because they didn't really have any evidence. So I don't understand, like, I'm going to arrest you for marijuana, but I have no, no proof. Uh, so in 1969, after receiving a lot of harsh criticism from college administrators because Robert had killed and cooked a duck for the, you know, sake of art, he voluntarily withdrew from the school. So thank God. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he remained in Kansas City and moved into the house on 4315 Charlotte Street. Um, and by this time in his life, he had been openly gay for several years okay yeah um and he spent most of his time his free time with male sex workers drug addicts oh. petty criminals and runaways 
Wow. You know, the usuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no biggie. So, okay. This is a thing that he did that just is so weird to me. And I think he's a fucking liar. Okay. So, Robert claims that... Okay, so, like, um, like people who... Like, okay, he would take in people in his house that were drug addicts or they didn't have a house or, you know, they were troubled. They were into petty crime. They were living, you know, not the best life. He claims he would take them in and try to change their lives around. He was rehabilitating them. Right. But to me, from everything that I've read, I think that he found these people weak. And more malleable. Like, he could make them, like, have sex with him Mm -hmm. without having to pay them. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people testified and said that, you know, he would drug and rape, you know, these people that would come in. He claims that he never once touched a hair on any of these people's heads. But everybody else says something different. And considering what he does in the future... With his murders, I don't fucking believe him. He's a huge sack of shit, dude. But, uh, so he would, like, drug and rape them, or he would, that he would be having consensual sex and, like, be injecting that person with drugs, like, while they're, mm-hmm. and just be super violent and aggressive and just Gross. unenjoyable for it. All parties except for Robert, I guess. Um, he would often tell his neighbors that he felt like a foster parent to these people. Oh, yeah, so nice. <laughs> um, and by the by the eighties, um, most all of his older friends stopped any form of contact with him, probably because he was obviously a psycho. Yeah, yeah, and this led him to rely on the young men he was bringing bringing into his home as a form of companionship so he kind of relied on them to you know keep him company and he's basically like forcing them to be his friend which kind of gives me john wayne gacy vibes yeah um he would lend money to these men or let them stay in his house rent free but it wasn't really free like they had to have sex with him yeah basically mm-hmm. do what he wanted type mm-hmm. of thing but robert's neighbors had a different view on him they thought he was a good guy they thought they described him as flamboyant <laughs> but a good guy you know what i mean yeah. if you listen to him talk he is very flamboyant mm-hmm. and i would say i love it but i don't because it's a serial killer mm-hmm. um so he would even help organize activities for the South Hyde Park Crime Con- or Convention, the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. Wow! And even became their chairman in the early 1980s. Wow! He also encouraged neighborhood watch patrols. Why do you think he's doing this? To take the heat off of himself. Yeah, to look like a good the pillar guy. of the community. Yeah. So nobody would ever suspect that he was doing some bullshit. This, to me, is some um, 
premeditated, manipulating. Like, like psychological whatever the fuck. I mean, it's smart. Yeah, it is, but it's also, he has this in his head that he's going to do this because when he starts fucking going around murdering people, they're not going to suspect him. They're going to be like, it would never be Robert Bordella, the chairman of our <laughs> South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. <laughs> you know what I mean? <sighs> yeah. So by the mid-80s, Robert relinquished his position as chairman. Um, but he, you know, would also represent his neighborhood at fundraising events for a local public television station. So he did a lot even I guess when he wasn't the chairman. Mm-hmm. I guess just to kind of stay like active and Yeah, so people were still like, No, he'll he's he's a good guy. Yeah. Um God, these things just make you wonder about everybody. Well so in the podcast and that's why we drink, they always say if they're a pillar of the community <laughs> or just go ahead and assume that they're a serial killer. Because <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> um so before he had moved into that house on Charlotte Street, um, he worked as a short order cook in many different restaurants in Kansas City. He also sold art and antiques that he that he had gotten from his contacts in Africa, Asia, South America, and various Pacific Rim countries. Hmm. Stuff that he collected. Yes. <laughs> By the mid-70s, we're kind of backtracking, sorry. Um, he began working as a senior cook at several renowned restaurants and also joining a local chef's association. He also helped to start up a training program for aspiring chefs at a local community college. So again, trying to put himself out there like this guy who trying to help the community. Right. So his side business started to flourish, which led his attention away from being a chef and by 1981 he um, had established several contractual agreements with national and international contacts for his own business um, he began renting a booth at Westport Flea Market in 1982 and he named his little booth um, Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. That sounds like a place I'd like to check out. Yeah. (laughs) And they primarily sold and traded primitive art, jewelry, and antiques. Hmm. Bizarre, bizarre. Yeah. Bob's Bizarre, bizarre. Okay, so oftentimes he wouldn't sell enough to make ends meet, even though, like, his business was flourishing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But anyways, um... So he had to resort to selling things like to the other merchants for a loss in profit or steal and scavenge for items to sell at his booth. He would also take in lodgers into his home and charge them to stay there. Hmm. Probably with sex and rent. Who knows? Yuck. So Robert became friends with a fellow merchant at the flea market named Paul Howell. Soon after that, he became acquainted with Paul's son, Jerry Howell. Um, And at first, Jerry and his friends would make fun of Robert for being gay. But Robert later claims that the boys confided in him that they would occasionally earn money as male sex workers. But I kind of feel like he's just a fucking liar. 
Yeah. I don't believe a word that comes out of this dude's mouth. Yeah. Mm. Like, I believe things that come out of Ed Kemper's mouth. Mm -hmm. But this dude, it's like he... And I did listen to a podcast about this, but I didn't really get any of my information from there because I had already gotten most all of it. But they did say that... um, or they did play a couple of clips of him talking, like, in an interview. Like, that's another thing. Ed Kemper went and shut up about mm-hmm. his crimes, where mm-hmm. Robert really wouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that anything that he did talk about, he was trying to make himself look better. Right. You know? Um, and so he would, you know, basically, you know, say that the media calls him a monster, and they, like... Um, make him out to be this horrible, horrible person that's not even a person anymore. And he's like, they're doing to me exactly what I did to, you know, my victims. And it's like, no. No, they're telling no, the truth. <laughs> you are a monster, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, the first known victim of Roberts is believed to be Jerry Howell. Oh, no. Um, On July 5th, 1984, he abducted Jerry by telling him that he would drive him to attend a dancing contest and marry him. He fed Jerry alcohol, Valium, and, um, fuck, there's so many medicines in this that I meant to look up the pronunciation to. It's a, a, Ace Promazine? Do you know that? No. Okay, well, that's... It's A-C-E-P-R-O-M-A-Z-I-N-E. Okay. Anyways. um, So you fed him all that on the car ride there. And then... And by the car ride there, I mean, like, to Robert's house. And then once they got there, he fed him more. Would you like to know what it is? Yeah. It's one of the most commonly used tranquilizers for dogs and cats. It decreases anxiety, causes central nervous system depression, and a drop in blood pressure and heart rate. So... How the fuck did he have this? Who knows? You know... uh, Let me see. I mean, it's literally, like, for animals. Well... So, well, it says in the 1950s it was introduced as a treatment for schizophrenia in humans, but its use in humans was quickly stopped due to serious side effects and lack of lack of effectiveness. Hmm. So, he wasn't diagnosed with schizophrenia, so who knows? So, anyways, he fed all of that to him on the ride to his house, and then when he was at his house, until Jerry became unconscious. Then he injected him with a heavy tranquilizer and then bound him to his bed. We're about to get into sexual assault here, so if you don't want to hear it, go away. Um, Robert restrained Jerry to his bed for 28 hours. While Jerry was bound to the bed during this time, Robert would repeatedly drug, torture, rape, and violate him with foreign objects. He ignored Jerry's pleas to stop. According to Robert, Jerry either asphyxiated on his own vomit or the combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to catch breath. Yeah. 
after Jerry died, this is about to get kind of graphic, guys. Um, Robert dragged his body down to the basement. He suspended him upside down above a large cooking pot <gasps> and made several incisions to Jerry's inner elbows and jugular vein. What? Then he left the body suspended like that overnight so that the blood could drain out of his body. Holy shit balls. Yeah. How have I not heard of this guy? Dude, I don't know how. I had never heard of him either. Wow. The next day, he dismembered the body using a chainsaw and boning knives and then wrapped the sections in newspaper and trash bags. Then he placed the trash bag into a larger trash bag and then put them outside to to be picked up by the garbage men. What the fuck? And taken to the landfill. This is what he did with every single victim. So every victim that he has, they're in landfills. Okay, that's insane. Like, that's... Okay, for the garbage men to pick that up, like, do they not realize there's something very heavy in these bags? In that podcast I was listening to, the dude was like, nobody could get away with that now. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like, okay, we're talking, like, on average, let's just say, like, a 160-pound human. Yeah. Like... You didn't notice maybe this trash bag is really fucking heavy. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just bizarre. It's, weird. it's, it's And for it to bizarre, be bizarre. repeatedly, like, picking these things up from it, this man's house. It, yeah. Ooh. It would be odd, I think. <sighs> but then again, I mean, just because we don't have heavy trash doesn't mean other people don't have heavy trash. So I don't feel like anybody has, <laughs> like, I don't know. a I've human body some... in their trash can unless you're fucking the people i yeah. covered last week <laughs> True. Uh, scotty literally could not stop talking about that by the way really yeah was he super interested he could not believe it dude yeah like he just ran like okay we hadn't even talked about the podcast or anything and he just comes over to me and he was like they put her in a trash can and i was dude. like what <laughs> what are you talking who what? it's rough man yeah okay isn't so- it Sorry, I'm sorry. Nope. Isn't it strange how, like, a lot of times we end up, like, I don't know, like, our, our, the cases we cover, like, have common themes to yeah, them. It is weird. You know what I mean? It is weird. I've noticed that. Like, last, last time when we had both had a George Thomas in our yeah. story, that was so mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Okay, so, um, later on during robert's questioning by the police he would claim that the last time he saw jerry he was driving him to marry him they parted ways and that was that but robert is an idiot and kept detailed logs where he documented each and every sexual and physical torture inflicted onto his victim so they literally found a log of all of this that's what i'm saying you're so smart but you're so dumb yeah, like, and he's going through all this, like, cutting up the bodies, drinking the blood, all that, and putting mm. them in trash bags, you know, rewrapping them in a trash bag. They're going to a landfill where they'll never be found. Mm-hmm. But then, and it's not just the, these logs. When the police, like, raid his home, they find a lot of stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I want to know, what was he doing with the blood? I have no idea. Yeah. He never, it never said. Gross. Yeah. Uh, so he would write down their pleas to really? be set free. Yeah. And for the tor- torture to stop, he would literally write down, like, and what Jerry cried out, please stop, or whatever. <sighs> um, Robert obviously ignored these pleas and would taunt his victims or threaten them. 
He claims that it wasn't for his enjoyment, like, okay, you're a liar, but for what he termed his physical and mental satisfaction. So that sounds like enjoyment. Right. Uh, right. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> like, let me just change enjoyment to a different word that's still kind of like enjoyment, satisfaction? but it's not. Enjoyment, satisfaction, enjoyment, satisfaction. I feel like they have a very, very similar definition. When I'm enjoying something, I'm satisfied. <laughs> <Yeah>. So... <laughs> So his second known victim was a 23-year-old man named Robert Sheldon. And Sheldon had lived with Robert... Robert? 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 Robert. (laughs) He had lived with Robert for a short time, but he had eventually moved away. Unfortunately for Sheldon, once again, he needed a place to stay. So he rung up good old Bob's Bizarre Bizarre and was like, Hey, can I come stay with you? And Robert was like, yeah. You can. And so he did. Um, Robert would later go on to say that Sheldon had been an inconvenience in the past while living with him and that he also wasn't attracted to him, but nonetheless, he still drugged him and held him captive anyways on April 12th. Robert was like very adamant that he didn't hold any ill will towards Sheldon, but He was someone he could express some of his anger and frustration that I had toward other people on. That's what he said verbatim. Very nice. Robert (laughs) drugged Sheldon with sedatives and held him captive in the bedroom on the second story of his house for three days. Sheldon endured three whole days of trauma and abuse. Robert would swab his left eye with drain cleaner he'd shove what the fuck dude it gets worse he'd shove needles beneath his fingertips <gasps> that just bothered yeah. me really bad oh my god oh my god oh my god it's horrible. i'm sitting here like gripping my fingers like really tight <laughs> um he bound his wrists with piano wire for the purpose of permanently damaging the nerves in children's hands he also filled his ears with caulking what the fuck so that Sheldon had a hard time hearing. Like, he literally did Took that. caulk and put it in his ears. Yeah. It said caulking, but I guess it is called caulk, right? Yeah. Why would it say caulking? I don't know. Caulking. Okay, whatever. Um, and he also, you know, raped Sheldon multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... Um, he does have one victim that is that does escape later on it's his last victim obviously wow and he said that like he would rape him multiple times a day like it's like he was never satisfied gross yeah on april 15th three days after sheldon became robert's captive a workman came to his house to fix the roof like this was something that robert had scheduled in (sighs) advance so he's super intelligent, but he's also... Dumb as fuck. Yes. <laughs> and so Robert got scared that Sheldon was going to make some noise and, you know, the worker was going to find him. So he killed him. So he put a sack over his head, then tightened a rope around it and suffocated him. Mm. Yeah. And then he dismembered him in the third floor bathroom. Put him in trash bags, garbage bin, landfill, you know the usual yeah (laughs) 
Um, so his next victim, the third victim, was a man named Mark Wallace. And Robert it literally knows every single victim. Like personally? Yeah. Every single one of them. Um, Robert was familiar with Mark because he had helped him with yard work in the past. Um, sometime in June, Robert found Mark, like, in his shed. Um, it was storming really bad outside. and he didn't have a place to go or something. Yeah, so he just went into Robert's shed. Um, so he invited Mark in. He did the, the gentleman thing to do. And invited Mark in to get out of the storm. And then he offered to inject him with um, chlorpromazine. Different one. Because Mark was visibly, like, not okay. He was, like, depressed, obviously had anxiety, was stressed. You could just tell. I want to know where he got these drugs. Dude, like, the 80s was a wild time. True. (laughs) So, um... And Mark accepted the offer. Did I just say the offer or did I say the offer? <laughs> he accepted the offer and I combined offer and and I think. And 30 minutes later, Robert decided like he was going to keep him captive. That's another anti-anxiety drug, by the way. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So Robert carried him to the second story bedroom and tortured him for an entire day. He put alligator clips on his nipples <gasps> and sent electrical shocks throughout Mark's body, what which made hell? Mark go unconscious. My God. Robert said that after an hour of his experimentation with hypodermic needles, by inserting them into muscles on Mark's back, he died through the combination of the drugs, gag, and the lack of oxygen. <sighs> And then, you know, he dismembered him, put him in trash bags, garbage man, landfills, you know. Wow. Thing. On September 26th, 1985, James Ferris called Robert on the phone and asked to stay with him for a little while. All, most all these guys, that's what they were doing, yeah. asking for a place to stay. Yeah. And of course, Robert was like, yeah, dude, totally. You can come stay with me. Let's meet up at a bar later today. And so they did. And then Robert brought James home and drugged him with a crushed tranquilizer that he had put in James's food. He then tied him to a bed and began his torture for 27 hours. He administered 7,700 volt electric shocks to the shoulder and testicles. Oh my God. For up to five minutes. Mm -hmm. Acupuncture with hypodermic needles in the neck and genitals. Wow. Robert noted in his logs, remember his logs, Mm -hmm. that James started to become delirious and couldn't sit up for more than 15 or 10 to 15 seconds. He also noted that James was experiencing very delayed breathing, but he continued his sexual and physical assaults until James died. In his notes, he wrote that James, 86th, because he used to be a chef. Oh. <laughs> you get it? Which is so fucked up. Oh my god. Like, James is no more. Yeah. There's no more James. Wow. Like, how fucking heartless. Ugh. You know, 
all these things you're saying about Robert, like with these drugs and these hypodermic needles and this log, like he didn't have any medical training. I don't think so. No, he sounds like a crazy doctor. Yeah. Like what? Like, what are you experimenting for? Uh, it's like crazy. Like it's some Jeffrey Dahmer shit, like trying yeah. to make like a, like a sex slave that will do whatever you want, has right. no control. Like you have all the control. That sounds, that to me is what it sounds like. So gross. Um, in case there are some of you who don't know what 86 means, it's just kind of like restaurant slang for like, if you don't have any more hamburgers, they'll be like 86 the hamburger, which means, you know, there's no more hamburgers to sell. So that's basically what it means. If you didn't know, which I'm sure most of you do. So his next victim was another sex worker named Todd Stoops that uh, Robert had been with on occasion. So another person he knows. Mm -hmm. On June 17th, 1986, Robert ran into Todd at Kansas City's Liberty Memorial Park. I feel like everything in Kansas City has the longest fucking name. Yeah. Um, And then he invited him to his house with a promise of lunch and sex. And Todd was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Mm -mm. Robert admitted to the police that he was extremely attracted to Todd. Like, Todd was his cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Todd was held captive for two entire weeks before he died. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I guess he was getting better at what he was doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and he didn't probably want him to die because he was so attracted to yeah, him. Yeah, he wanted to keep him forever as a sex slave. Mm-hmm. Robert would gradually increase the torture inflicted on Todd to make him like more cooperative and compliant as his own personal sex slave. Um, Robert used electrical shocks through Todd's closed eyes to try and blind him. My God. And he injected drain cleaner into his larynx to try and mute him from screaming. Wow. Yeah. I am just, like, honestly in disbelief that there's not more out there about this guy. Like, why do we not know about him? I don't know. I don't know. Fucking nuts. He is insane. During the second week of Todd's capture, he asked Robert for a sandwich and a soda, and Robert refused, and... He later said that, like, as soon as he said no, Todd just burst into tears. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Like, you can't even give him a fucking sandwich and soda. Like. <sighs> on June 27th, Robert ruptured Todd. Okay. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Robert ruptured Todd's anal wall with his fist, <gasps> which caused bleeding and discharge. Oh, my God. Towards the end of Todd's captivity, Robert said he tried to feed him ice cream and soup, but, like, he could not keep it down. He just kept throwing it up. What a fucking piece of shit. Yep. And so now you're going to try to feed him? You feel kind of bad for that, Robert? Right. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, Robert. So by Todd's final days, he was incredibly weak and was unable to breathe while sitting up. July 1st, 1986, Todd died, and later a forensic pathologist determined that he had died from septic shock due to his ruptured anal wall. Oh my god. So sad. 
and you know i know when you become septic you have like a really high fever mm-hmm. and like he just robert didn't care like he would have obviously known that this dude had a fever mm-hmm. like that bad no he didn't care no in the spring of 1987 robert met a man named larry wayne pearson they met at robert's booth at the flea market Shortly after that, Larry stayed with Robert for a time and did chores around the house as a way of paying rent. Sorry, I'm having like, I don't know why this always happens. It's like when I talk too much, Mm -hmm. I get GERD. So Robert claims that he didn't originally intend on keeping Larry, but I don't believe him because he's just... You can just tell he's a fucking liar. Yeah. Um, but on June 23rd, he bailed Larry out of jail. And as soon as like he got out, Larry started joking about how he made a living pretty much on like robbing gay men. So Robert was gay and he didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So he decided, you know. Okay. Here's my question. At, what are we at now? Like victim six? So he has six victims in total. total. Yeah. Well, okay. So he's killed a lot of dudes. Yeah. How do you kill that many people and people that you have uh, had prior um, friendships with and you haven't been caught yet? People aren't suspecting Robert. I mean. So Jerry Howell. They knew that the last, like, his family knew the last person he was with was with Robert, but there was Mm -hmm. no evidence, you know? They had nothing. I just feel like, you know, by, like, the third or fourth dude, it's like, okay, well, who do all these guys have in common? Robert. also, like, Jerry is the only one that had really, like, a family to be like, hey... Well, yeah, you're right, because a lot of them were sex workers and probably alienated from their families. I can't remember which one. I want to say it was Sheldon. I feel like he had a wife, and she was also suspicious because Mm -hmm. she knew that he had been with her. But everybody else, they didn't know. You know, they they were just kind of, for a lack of a better term, like, a nobody to most people, yeah. you know? Like I said, I mean, they were probably sex workers. They were alienated from their families, probably yeah. in a different state. And a lot of them were like runaways, just that, trying to seek shelter. And Robert just, you know, opened up his sense. house. And, yeah. Okay. So that evening, Robert intoxicated Larry and then injected him with, uh, chlorpromazine the same animal tranquilizer Mm -hmm. he moved him down to the basement where he bound his hands over his head and then linked a rope to a brick column he then proceeded to inject larry's larynx with drain cleaner and then brought an electrical transformer down to the basement Mm. robert said that larry was the most cooperative out of all of his victims even though the torture of electric, even through the torture of electrical shocks, Robert had even broken several bones in Larry's oh hand by beating him with an iron rod to render him submissive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert felt as though Larry had earned his trust, considering 
considering he had been so cooperative, so he moved him from the basement to the second-story bedroom. He informed Larry that his continued cooperation would cause him um, less pain and torture, pretty much. Throughout the next six weeks. Oh, my God. Six weeks of captivity. Larry trained himself to sleep without moving so that he wouldn't antagonize Robert and cause more torture. And so that he wouldn't be, you know, returned to the basement, which I don't really know how Robert knows that because this guy does die. So unless it was like written in his logs, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like Larry had told him that or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I was hoping this was going to be the one that got away. mm -mm. Six weeks. So after six weeks, Larry had taken all that he could take. Literally, like, could not take it anymore. And trigger warning, while being forced to perform fellatio on Robert, he bit the fuck out of his penis. Good. Yes. Good. Good for him. But unfortunately, um, he had bit Robert's penis so hard that, like, Robert had to go to the hospital. And so he instantly um, bludgeoned him unconscious. Fuck. With a, uh, uh, fuck, I forgot where it was, a tree limb. Wow. And then suffocated him with a bag and a ligature. Well, you know what? At least he fucking got him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And in that podcast I listened to, they were like, I mean, you know, what do you do at that point? No. Like, you're six weeks You in, know you're going to die. Yeah. You either, you know, give him a little bit of hurt or yeah. you just die, you know, being tortured. You know? He wasn't going to let him go. Oh, no, no, no. Good. I hope he fucking bit it off. Yeah, he didn't, but... I mean, what do you go to the hospital and say? <laughs> That's what they were talking about in the podcast. They were like, what do you even say? Like, if you go to the hospital and you obviously have bite marks on your dick, like, <clears throat> they're probably going to be suspicious, you know? I mean, honestly, like, he should have bitten it off. Like... If it were me, I would have taken every muscle in my freaking face to bite that sucker off. Yeah, well, he was also, like, you know, probably really weak and, you know, wasn't being fed and, you know, had endured so much torture. I'm glad he hurt him. I am, too. I am, too. Um, And then he drove himself to the hospital after he killed Larry with a tree limb and then suffocated him. Uh... Then later after, you know, returning home, Robert dismembered Larry's body in the basement and stored his head in a plastic bag in his freezer before burying it in his backyard. Why? So some slight Jeffrey Dahmer shit right there. Mm -hmm. His last victim is a man named Christopher Bryson. He was a 22-year-old sex worker in which Robert had lured to his house with the promise of payment for sex. And this is another prostitute, prostitute, sex worker that Robert had occasion. So mm-hmm. he knew him mm-hmm. and I'm sure he trusted him. Mm-hmm. Robert knocked him unconscious with an iron bar the moment he walked through the door <sighs> and then bound him to a bed. He wasn't taking any chances that time. Yeah. Um, He endured the same torture as Robert's other victims, except he had his eyes swapped with ammonia. Robert told him, the only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. Yeah. 
After several days, Robert told Christopher that he was beginning to trust him. He said they could discuss the aspects of the abuse and torture he was receiving, but any sexual abuse, like, they were not going to Talk about. negotiate it. Oh. Like, so basically he was like, you know, we can kind of negotiate about your physical abuses, but you have a zero say in your sexual abuse. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then he said, um, I've gotten this far with other people before and they're dead now because of mistakes they made. That's horrifying. Yeah. By the third day of his captivity, Robert trusted him immensely. They established a daily routine of tying his hands in front of him after his sexual abuse instead of above his head into the bed. He also was able to keep the TV remote between his legs so he could change the channels. Mm. The following day, he was able to grab... Um, a matchbook that Robert had accidentally left in the bedroom and legit burned through his ropes. Good. Yeah. Um, He jumped out of the second story window wearing nothing except a dog collar around his neck. Hey. Yeah. Run, boy. (laughs) Run. He broke a bone in his foot. Jumping. Yeah. Um, Run. But it didn't stop him. He ran towards um, a man parked at a meter reader And shouted for him to call the police. And that man brought him back to his house and his family contacted the police, which is like insane to me because it's like, what would you do if a man only wearing a A dog dog collar was running out to you? Yeah. I'm so proud of him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, And the police arrived only a few minutes later. Great. So the police questioned Christopher. And he told them about, you know, the days of torture that he had endured. He told them how he had been kept bound to a bed. He was repeatedly sodomized, drugged, and his throat had been repeatedly injected with drain cleaner in order to keep him from talking loudly. Um, The officers noted that he had red swollen eyes and visible scars and welts all over his body. Robert Berdella was arrested the same day on charges pertaining to the sexual assault of Christopher Bryson. They still have no idea that he's a serial killer, like right now. Right. They just think that he was holding this dude hostage. Yeah. Um, the officers, like, wanted to search his house, but, of course, Robert was like, no, because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> evidence <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Um. But unfortunately for him, fortunately for us, fortunately for Christopher, um, they were able to obtain a search warrant. Mm -hmm. When the police made their way to the second story bedroom, they found ropes that had been burnt with, that had been burnt, which cooperate. (laughs) I'm going to kill myself. Which. (laughs) Say it for me. Coincidentally? No. (laughs) cooperative no okay which um basically like made it so that they knew christopher was telling the truth spell it no because the reason why i can't say it is because i definitely mistyped it um (laughs) cooperated 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 yeah is that the word yeah cooperated okay 
okay <laughs> like came together yes Is that, okay um okay um so um uh, where was i at okay so basically they found evidence that christopher was telling the truth did you listen to it cooperate yes okay um they also found an electrical transformer in the bedroom plugged into the wall with, with wires leading to the bed. There was a metal tray containing syringes, small bottles containing prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops. They also found a long iron pipe, rope, and leather belts. The posts on the bed had been worn down, which indicated to the, indicated to the police that restraints had been tied to the bed for a long time while people struggled against them to get free. So they instantly thought this is more than just one person. Yeah. Yeah. Investigators uncovered a human skull inside the closet on the second floor, a partially decomposed human head in the backyard, several human vertebrae, which had markings that a hacksaw and knife had removed them from the bodies. Ah. They also found several human teeth in two different envelopes. Ew. Yeah. Both a hacksaw and a miter saw Mm -hmm. were discovered in the basement. A chainsaw with blood, pubic hairs, and flesh was also found. Luminol tests showed that the two barrels in Robert's basement were covered in blood. 334 Polaroid Polaroids and 34 snapshot prints of different men were also found throughout Robert's house. Like like the dying men, like the men he was torturing or just like random men. The pictures showed men who were alive and also men who were dead. Okay. So it was the pictures were literally of the torture like ensuing Holy or shit. Like right after they were dead or whatever Mm. um they also found numerous restraints sexual devices porn hypodermic needles and a book on narcotics (laughs) they also found that detailed log that robert kept you know all of his victims torture and their pleas and cries for help and whatever they found that um, they found, uh, where was I at? Several news clippings of a missing man named Jerry Howell mm. and the wallet and driver's license of James Ferris. On July 22nd, 1988, a grand jury indicted Robert for the murder of Larry Wayne Pearson. The following month, he pleaded guilty to the first degree murder of Larry. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. On August 24th, Robert was sentenced to another life term for force, force. I, okay, this is my problem. I type so fast (laughs) that I fuck all my words up. Um, I'm trying to figure out what this is. Robert was sentenced to another life term for forcible sodomy that's what it is okay against um christopher bryson who is the one who escaped Mm -hmm. he also received another seven years for the restraint against christopher 
He pled guilty to the remaining five murders in order to not receive the death penalty. On October 8th, 1992, Robert complained to a prison staff of chest pains. He dies. And he was taken from his cell to the infirmary. The medical staff said that his heart was unstable and they called an ambulance. He was taken to a hospital in Columbia, Missouri and was pronounced dead at 3.55 p.m. from a heart attack. Good. He was only 43 years old. Good. A lot of people were very upset about that because he only served like four years in prison. But he's dead now. Yeah, but when you're dead, you're dead. I mean, agreed. And he didn't die. He wasn't killed by... Something, yeah. I I mean, I guess because I believe in capital punishment, like, I think he should have been put to death, like, immediately. Because he's a fucking waste of oxygen. I agree, but I would rather him... Suffer. ...in prison than to die of a heart attack. Like, that just... Too easy. You just... Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You just died of a natural thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And what you did to your victims was so not natural. Right. That's true. That's my only... Like well, his dad died at, what, 39 from a heart attack? Yeah. So, yeah. Yep, I guess it runs in the family. It sucks for you, Rob. Fuck that dude, dude. He's so horrible. I, I like, literally, I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that he's not more well-known. Yeah. Yeah, I had never heard of him. Um, he also, in interviews, would refer to his victims as play toys. Ew. Yeah. So... They were saying that um, he obviously showed zero signs of remorse. Like, he didn't, he literally didn't care. Like, he did not care about these people. He had no form of empathy, compassion, remorse. And even like Ed Kemper would talk about, um, you know, feeling remorse and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This dude had none whatsoever. That's a really scary person. That is very scary mm-hmm. like it's terrifying to think people like that walk among us yeah a lot of them know. you would never know nope. until you're held captive Meh. because you trusted them Meh. god don't trust anybody guys Mm-mm. don't trust anybody you never know with people dude it's, it's crazy just it could be anybody literally it could anybody. be you not me. I promise. <laughs> I pinky swear. JK. I just opened up um, a booth at a flea market called Bob's Bazaar Bazaar, by the way. <laughs> if you want to stop by sometime. But that's all I have on Robert. Um, he's was, a huge sack of just stinky shit. That was good, though, Alyssa. Nice. Um, it would have been better if I wasn't, you know, stumbling over my no, words. you and, did very well. It was nice to hear about something new that I did not have any knowledge of. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, mm. what a... Oh, my God. What, what a guy. What a guy. Mm. Okay. Well, um, thank you guys for listening. I'm sorry that I literally cannot talk at all. Um, it's been quite the week for me. Has it been quite the week for you? It has. Yeah, it's been... It's just been a week, man. It's been a week. It's just been terrible, honestly. It's I'm ready for a new week, new year. Yes. Ready to get this shit over with. Um, but I feel like there was something that we were going to say. Should we talk about 
sponsors advertisements if you want uh, fuck it you guys go look on facebook if you want to know about <laughs> that um or instagram you can join that facebook group at for god's sake don't drink the jones juice um follow our instagram and tiktok at don't drink the jones juice buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the jones juice send us your own personal true crime slash paranormal stories do that to our um email and we will read them for our listener juice episode no, we haven't done in a while because you guys aren't sending them in. Um, and you can send that to don't drink the Jones juice at gmail.com. Um, that's it, right? That's it. Okay. I'll be 34 in four days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what news do we have to talk about? None. I'm old. I'll be 25 in like three months. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good day, I guess. <laughs> have a great one. Have, have a great one. For God's sake. Don't drink.